You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on my book, The Quest for Sustainable Business, an epic journey in search of corporate responsibility. Research and Reading, Landmarks for Sustainability, Sustainable Economy Principles. After getting my PhD, my focus shifted to working with the University of Cambridge's Institute for Sustainability Leadership, or CISL, where I've held various positions over the years, including Development Advisor, Research Director, Senior Associate, Fellow, Head Tutor and Lecturer. CISL was established in 1989 and has become globally recognized for its executive learning programs, especially the Business and Sustainability Program and the Corporate Leaders Group on Climate Change, both of which it runs on behalf of His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, and more recently also its Masters in Sustainability Leadership, which I helped to design and provide ongoing support for. During my time with CISL, I've been involved in producing some fascinating publications, including papers such as Sustainability and the Individual, Sustainability Innovation, A New Model of Business Government Policy Dialogue on Sustainability, and a Cross-Sector Partnership as an Approach to Inclusive Development. Also reports like Sustainable Economy Dialogue, the Sustainable Consumption and Production Business Primer, and the Climate Leaders Reference Guide, as well as the State of Sustainability Leadership Report. There have also been two books, Landmark for Sustainability and the Top 50 Sustainability Books. Most of these publications are still available, either for download or purchase, so here I simply want to shine a spotlight on some of the most interesting findings. For example, in the Sustainable Economy Dialogue Report, we summarised the views of more than 400 senior leaders, which had been captured during 161 dialogues in five countries across Austria, Kenya, South Africa, the UK and the USA. Participants were asked to respond to three questions. What is the fundamental goal or purpose of a good economy? Why do current economies fail to achieve this fundamental goal? And what can business do to help eliminate these failings? Out of this consultative process, a consensus emerged that the fundamental goal or purpose of a good economy is to steadily improve the well-being of all people, now and in the future, with due regard to equity, within the constraints of nature, through the active engagement of all its participants. In the book, we also identified the ten principles of a good economy which are that it should be, one, fulfilling, focusing on well-being and quality of life, two, inclusive, focused on sharing and global benefits, three, far-sighted, focusing on consequences and future generations, four, developing, focused on progress and improvement over time, five, equitable, focusing on fairness and even distribution. Six, sustainable, focusing on nature and life support systems. Seven, participatory, focusing on engagement and stakeholder democracy. Eight, innovative, focusing on creativity and rewarding achievement. Nine, diverse, focused on variety and equal opportunities. And ten, accessible, 
focusing on openness and providing opportunity. In the Sustainable Consumption and Production Report, we explored how to de-link economic development from environmental degradation using techniques such as technology, innovation and design, resource productivity and efficiency, life cycle assessment, closed-loop production, sustainable procurement and customer engagement. I remember one startling statistic in the report, namely that if you factored in the waste materials generated in the production life cycle, a gold wedding ring would weigh around 6,000 kilograms or 6 tonnes. The report included many case studies including British Telecom, Adidas, ICI, Nokia, Marine Stewardship Council, Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, Phoneback and the City of London. I found Phoneback particularly interesting. It was launched in 2002 to deal with the growing mobile phone mountain created by consumers disposing of obsolete phones every 18 months while leaving the lithium, iron, platinum, gold, silver, copper and reusable plastics in every phone. Phoneback takes the returned old phones and extracts these materials for reuse and recycling, as well as refurbishing the phones for on sale. In its first three years, the company had already prevented 1,800 tonnes of electrical waste from 18 million mobile phones going to landfills, and increased overseas sales by 127% in those three years. This is a great example of a social enterprise that is closing the loop on production or practicing cradle-to-cradle principles. In the Cambridge Climate Reference Guide, we identified and summarized 12 publications on climate change that every senior leader should be familiar with, which even today, I would argue, makes for a solid and relevant essential reading list. Another report I worked on is A Journey of a Thousand Miles, The State of Sustainability Leadership, which includes some of the fruits of my most recent research for Cambridge University. Working together with Polly Curtis, then director of CISL, our first step in understanding sustainability leadership was to go back to the basics and ask, what is leadership? The definition we developed is that a leader is someone who can craft a vision and inspire people to act collectively to make it happen, responding to whatever changes and challenges arise along the way. Are sustainability leaders different? There are also various theories on leadership, and while it was not our intention to provide an exhaustive review of these, they do set a frame for sustainability leadership. Hence, we distinguished three main approaches to understanding leadership. The trait or style school, which focuses on the characteristics or approaches of individual leaders. The situational or context school, which focuses on on how the external environment shapes leadership action, and the contingency or interactionist school, which is about the interaction between the individual leader and his or her framing context. These general perspectives on leadership established the foundation for our more specific inquiry into the nature of sustainability leadership. Based on our review of the academic literature, together with CISL's experience working with senior leaders over the previous 20 years, we distilled the following simple definition. 
A sustainable business leader is someone who inspires and supports action towards a better world. Looking at the theories of leadership that inform this definition, our conclusion was that sustainability leadership is not a separate school of leadership, but rather a particular blend of individual characteristics applied within a definitive context. Put another way, the context comprising the sustainability challenges facing the world and our aspirations for a better future calls for particular types of leadership. This approach aligns most closely with the contingency or interactionist school, although our emphasis is as much on the actions of leaders as the context that shapes their behavior. Hence, our model of sustainability leadership has three basic elements, context, characteristics, and actions. The model was tested and refined through interviews with selected sustainability leaders, some of whose thoughts and insights are shared below. The sustainability context has become mission critical for many businesses. According to a survey of uh, United Nations Global Compact member CEOs conducted by Accenture, 93% of CEOs globally see sustainability as an important aspect of their company's future success, especially tackling issues like education, climate change, resource scarcity and health. 73% of CEOs see this as a way of strengthening their brand, trust and reputation. Jeffrey Immelt, CEO of General Electric, agrees, saying, The most important thing I've learned since becoming CEO is context. It's how your company fits in with the world and how you respond to it. Similarly, Sandy Ogg, chief HR officer then for Unilever, told us that Former CEO Paul Pullman stands out as a sustainability leader because he understands the context and he understands leading with empathy in a multi-stakeholder environment. There are many characteristics, including traits, styles, skills and knowledge that are associated with sustainability leaders. Our research suggests that the following seven key are among the most important elements in distinguishing the leadership approach taken by individuals tackling sustainability issues. They are systemic understanding, emotional intelligence, values orientation, compelling vision, inclusive style, innovative approach, and long-term perspective. Although it is unlikely that any individual will embody all seven characteristics of sustainability leadership, to give a flavour for each characteristic, they are illustrated in our report by observations from a selection of leaders, many of whom have worked with and many of whom demonstrate some of the qualities themselves. Although it is unlikely that any individual will embody all seven characteristics of sustainability leadership, to give a flavour for each characteristic, they are illustrated in our report by observations from a selection of leaders, many of whom we have worked with and who demonstrate some of these qualities themselves. Paradoxes of Sustainability Leadership One of our most compelling and persistent findings was that sustainability leadership is fraught with paradoxes. As the competitive landscape shifts and global challenges evolve, 
companies that were lauded in the past as sustainability leaders may be discredited in the present. Similarly, today's targeted villains may end up being tomorrow's sustainability heroes, and vice versa. There are a number of reasons for this state of flux in sustainability leadership. First, sustainability is aspirational. No company or society has achieved sustainability. The goal of sustainable development is an ideal state that we are striving for. By definition, companies will fall short of the mark and be exposed for their inadequacies. Second, the context is dynamic. Our global challenges are part of a complex living system which is constantly changing. Companies that do not innovate and adapt to match the evolving context will be left behind, while others will emerge as new leaders. Third, perceptions can change. The sustainability agenda is driven as much by emotions and perceptions as by factual realities. Society's views on issues like nuclear and GMOs can change, and with it the perceived sustainability performance of companies. And finally, sustainability is a learning process. And as our understanding of sustainability challenges and solutions improves, so do our expectations of companies. Companies, in their turn, need to constantly renew their sustainability learning or be left wanting. Ultimately, given the scale and urgency of the challenges, sustainability leadership needs to be bold leadership. It also needs to be collaborative leadership, leaders acting together at all levels of organization and society. Many of the sustainability leaders we spoke to emphasized the importance of collective action. Hence, while leadership James Smith, then chairman of Shell UK, told us that his view of leadership is not based on a hierarchical model, but on the notion of a network. In other words, that leadership is not invested in one person. Smith concedes that many CEOs do base their leadership on the cult of personality and cause things to happen, but their success is short-lived. Sustainability leadership, by contrast, is about cultivating good people for sustainability to be delivered. Hence, while individual leaders at the apex of organizations are critical change agents for sustainability, finding sustainable business leaders or champions throughout our communities, government departments and companies is also essential. Some call this approach distributed leadership, which MIT professor Deborah Ancona says is where junior leaders act when local needs. Some call this approach distributed leadership, which MIT professor Deborah Ancona says is where junior leaders act when local needs arise and as organizational imperatives demand. We all have the potential to be sustainability leaders, whatever our area of practice, whatever our role, and whatever our level of seniority. We also conclude from our research that, given the paradox of sustainability leadership, the success or otherwise of the sustainability leader, whether individual or organizational, hierarchical or distributed, must rest with the performance of the company. 
ultimately, sustainability leadership must be judged by the success of our actions and the extent to which we inspire and support others to follow our vision and passion for a better world. Landmarks for Sustainability Apart from the research reports, one of the book projects I researched together with Oliver Dudok van Heel and wrote up for Cambridge University was Landmarks for Sustainability. As the subtitle indicated, we set out to map the events and initiatives that have changed the world. In fact, we identified more than 220 such events and initiatives dating back to 1919. This book was in part an answer to the question, how did we come so far in such a short time? And is it still a case of too little, too late? Back in 1988, the Brundtland Commission had only just introduced its touchstone definition of sustainable development, and all the talk was of the ozone hole with climate change still something that most people didn't know or care too much about. Despite the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, being set up by the UN that same year. Fast forward 20 years and we were awash with codes of conduct, certifiable standards, corporate programs, industry initiatives, green politicians, triple bottom line reports and Oscar winning documentaries about sustainability. At the same time, many of our global challenges, be they climate change, water depletion, biodiversity loss, bribery and corruption, or income inequality, seem, if anything, to have gotten worse rather than better. This leads to the second question that served as a catalyst for the book, namely, how can we deepen our understanding of the processes of change at a societal, sector, organizational, and individual level? And how have these acted either to support or to oppose sustainability? The book illustrates a number of trends. First, it is clear that many of the issues highlighted in its 20 chapters have moved from the marginal fringes into the mainstream. For example, although the UK Soil Association introduced its organic label in 1967, it took until 2004 before Walmart converted to organic cotton supplies and changed the market irrevocably. Second, we have seen a move from general problems to specific solutions. For example, we now talk less about environment, poverty and sustainable development and more about ISO 14001, the Millennium Development Goals or Sustainable Development Goals and Emissions Trading. Before, the core was for more data and debate. Today, it's for more policy and action. Third, business and government has changed from being largely reactive to more proactive. For example, the reaction by the chemicals industry to Rachel Carson's Silent Spring in the 1960s or Greenpeace's activism in the 1970s and the spate of industrial disasters in the 1980s all stand in stark contrast to the approach taken by the Forest Stewardship Council in the 1990s and the Corporate Leaders Group on Climate Change in the 2000s. Fourth, we have shifted from high-level cross-sector principles to more detailed industry sector responses. For example, the Sullivan principles in 1977, the Valdez principles in 1989, 
and the ICC Business Charter for Sustainable Development in 1991 have all given way to the likes of the Marine Stewardship Council Certification Scheme, the Equator Principles for Project Finance and the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative. Fifth, we have seen a growing consensus on principles and standards. The initial flurry of codes and guidelines seems to have settled around in a few core standards, such as the Global Reporting Initiative Sustainability Reporting Guidelines or the UN Global Compact or the Sustainable Development Goals, including... Fifth, we have seen a growing consensus on principles and standards. The initial flurry of codes and guidelines seems to have settled around a few core standards, such as the Global Reporting Initiative Sustainability Reporting Guidelines, the UN Global Compact, and the Sustainable Development Goals. Catalysts for Change Looking at the events thematically, we can conclude that change is a long-term process. But sustained momentum is important to reach the necessary tipping points in public opinion, policy response and business action. For example, the global warming greenhouse effect was first discovered by Jean-Baptiste Fourier in 1824. But it is only rarely since 2005 that climate change has become a top agenda item for news desks, parliaments and boardrooms of the world. Likewise, the process of institutionalizing globalization may have begun with the formation of the League of Nations in 1919 and marched behemoth-like onward with Bretton Woods in 1944 and GATT and WTO in the 1990s. But it took the Battle of Seattle in 1999 and subsequent anti-globalization protests to reopen the debate on what kinds of globalization and capitalism will create a just and sustainable world. The Landmarks book helped to tell the story of gathering momentum and shifting agendas. Its message, in many ways, is simple. The past decades have been critical with significant and increasing responses by business, government and civil society. But all the signs are that our social and environmental problems continue to get worse. Therefore, the next decades will be even more important, especially with the narrow window of opportunity on climate change, poverty alleviation and sustainable development paths for China, India and other developing countries. The quality of leadership that we experience and that we offer will determine whether we take the right paths as a species, the path of breakdown, or the path to breakthrough. In the top 50 sustainability books, we had a similar objective, summarizing key sources of thought leadership, but in this case extended to the whole of sustainability, reaching back over a century of writing and focusing on seminal books. The top 50 list was based on a poll conducted among the CISL alumni, as well as the recommendations of the Cambridge faculty, senior associates and directors. For those who are curious, the top 10 rankings from the poll, which was conducted back in 2007, were An Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, The Economics of Climate Change, by Nicholas Stern, Small is Beautiful by E.F. Schumacher, 
Capitalism as If the World Matters by Jonathan Porritt. Collapse by Jared Diamond. Natural Capitalism by Amory Lovins, Hunter Lovins and Paul Hawken. Gaia by James Lovelock. Our Common Future by the World Commission on Environment and Development. And Cannibals with Forks by John Elkington. This book project also gave me the extraordinary privilege and opportunity to interview around 30 of the authors visiting Canada, the US, Switzerland, Austria and other places to track them down. Many of these conversations I've already dipped into over the course of this season. So in the next episode, it only remains for me to add the voices of a few of the UK-based luminaries that have not yet been highlighted, namely John Elkington, Jonathan Porritt, Charles Handy and James Lovelock.